Welcome to the Total Car Score Podcast, bringing you the world of cars from inside the car. And now your hosts, Carl Brower, Lauren Fix, and Javier Mota. Well, here we are back at the Total Car Score Podcast with Carl Brower and Lauren Fix. Another week, more cars. And actually, I think uh, with the event that happened this week, actually last Wednesday or Tuesday, I'm sorry. I think we enter a completely new era, a Homer EV with 1,000 horsepower. So this is the new normal. Lauren, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. Here, raining here in Florida. And I think you're in Florida too. So I don't know if it's raining like crazy. It's been raining here all week. Yeah, it is raining here, unfortunately. Uh, but it's supposed to clear up and the weather's better in Florida than it is in New York. How about in California, Carl? How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, weather is uh, standard California. It's actually cooled down finally. In, uh been very hot for the last uh, month or two mostly and now it's like okay we finally broke into like highs in the 80s instead of upper 90s which is nice uh, well so what do you guys think about this uh new homer gmc homer so they revived the name uh actually that that was a brand right like uh, when they launched it uh, i don't know what was it like 15 years ago whatever really bad timing at that time um it, the, it was the prius time and the homer came up this big military vehicle adapted to civilian life really bad um pr from the people who bought it and abused it i guess on the streets but now it's back as an electric uh, again pickup truck with a thousand horsepower that's that's pretty crazy and eleven thousand five hundred pound feet of torque that's like you could rip a tree out of the ground i don't know how long that's going to work on a battery maybe a couple good pulls yeah it's funny Hear that number and you think, wait, is that the is that the torque rating or the towing, you know, rating? And uh, you know, but it's no, that's the torque rating is eleven thousand. Uh, but I I agree with what you say, Javier, and that it was interesting to watch them bring back a brand that had to be killed, really as much or more for political purposes than because of financial purposes. We did have the re the recession going on and and the restructuring of General Motors ten years ago. And in the middle of all that, it just made sense for them to reduce brands. That's when they got rid of Saturn. It's when they got rid of Pontiac. And it's when they got rid of Saab. And it's when they got rid of Hummer. But uh, I remember at the time thinking, you know, this is a pretty iconic brand. I mean, right now they're known for, you know, um, uh, the tree huggers running out and, and lighting them on fire. You know, the, the environmentalists are burning them up at, at uh, lots and stuff in the middle of the night. The dealers are coming in the morning and there's like, you know, they're on fire. They've had acid dumped on them and stuff like that on the dealer lots because they hated the Hummer because of what it represented. But I thought this is probably a moment in time. And at some point, like everything, it's going to swing around and suddenly big, you know, in your face, capable trucks are going to be huge again. And not having the Hummer brand will be seen as a mistake. And, you know, here we are 10 years later. And we did a study where I'm working at IC Cars right now. We did a study on the used market and we saw that used Hummers are about twice the value of the average vehicle and even of the average truck. Like if you do it for all vehicles from say early 2000 to 2010 when the Hummer brand was around, the average value of a vehicle from that period is around 10,000 and the average Hummer selling price is around 19,000. And even if you just filter for trucks and SUVs of that period, you go to like 10 or 11,000, but you don't go anywhere near the 19,000 that those used Hummers are going for. So they still carry a premium on the used market. And that means there's a certain amount of people out there who still like the brand and like what it represents. And I think GM understood this and realized, okay, let's bring this thing back. We don't have to have a, our whole new brand like it was before. We'll make it a subset of GMC. 
but there's value here that we can get back out of this brand if we do it right. And by making an electric, you take away the big element that everyone, you know, not everyone, but a certain amount of people hated about the last uh, Hummer, which was that it was a terrible, uh, terrible for Mother Earth and very Earth unfriendly. Well, that's you can't argue that now when it's an 100% electric vehicle. And can you imagine what uh, they could have done with that uh, brand? And if they, because they were introducing the H3, and then the pickup truck was coming up, and then in the meantime, Jeep took advantage of the market and just launched through the sky with with their brand and different models, right, Lauren? Right. You know, it's, I should tell you something about Hummer. Um, we own a company called Classic Tube. We make tubing products for collector cars, and one of the biggest draws we've had, and I'd say the last six months or more is H2s, so the H2 Hummer. So if, you, if just to break it down for those who are Hummer experts, the H1 is what you see in military. When you see the military guys driving down the road, they're driving the H1. So those are the big ones. That's the Schwarzenegger vehicle where two people sitting side by side have a gigantic council essentially between them. The H2 was sort of the street version of it. And that's the one that's super collectible right now. And the H3 was more of like an SUV with a Hummer nameplate on it. So those aren't as collectible, but the H2 are the ones that people are restoring. We are selling tubing for that and that we can tell the trends based on when people start calling on certain things. We've had weird calls too. I mean, for people rebuilding Ford Tempos, God knows why. But the Hummer H2 always had something about it, the provenance about it being military, being more rugged, being something that was literally a competitor at that time, that time window to like Land Rover. But the price was a fraction of that. So the fact that it was killed off for political reasons, essentially, and that it's coming back under GMC, I think is, is a great thing and good use of brand value. You're starting to see other brands do that also, like with the Venza, you're seeing them pull these names out, even when they pulled out Pacifica with Chrysler, you're watching them use names they haven't used in a while. And it's good because when there's an investment in that brand, whatever it is, even if it's Coca-Cola and they have a sub brand, you don't want to throw that out because you've invested dollars, you've invested brand equity, and you want to make sure to use that. And the smartest thing you can do is, as we call it, the low-hanging fruit is to use something that people already know rather than trying to create something out of nothing. Because starting from a bunch of letters like Kia and the K5 means nothing to anyone. It's interesting also to see this new trend, I guess, with like how many electric pickup trucks are coming down the pipe, right, in the next uh, few years, Carl? Well, yeah, and that's the other thing that I think I give GM some credit for because you don't do something like this overnight. All three of us know this is a long lead time business. When you decide to commit to making a vehicle or a model, it's a multi-year process before it can be shown to the public and that it's ready to go. <clears throat> so it's clear that GM saw this trend years ago because they said it's been at least two years they've been working on this Hummer brand. And it's still like another you know year or two before you're going to really be having access to it. But the hottest thing going right now, all of us, I think, would agree, is the electric truck. That's the next big thing. We've seen electric cars for years with varying levels of success, depending on the brand and the model. But, um, you know, in the last six, eight months, we've seen the Cybertruck from Elon and now the talk of um, Lordstown trucks from the old Lordstown GM plant, but its own company. Uh, Bollinger's doing stuff. Rivian's getting a lot of investment from Amazon and uh, from Ford. And now here comes General Motors with the GMC Hummer uh, as a premium upscale truck that's powered by electricity. So there's a major confluence of uh, energies, no pun intended, coming together, making the electric truck the hot thing. And that GM is 
prepped and has re something ready to go or almost ready to go right when this is all happening is going to reflect very well on their ability to kind of cash in on and jump on this train of popular electric trucks right when they're being popular, not being late to the market. So good on them. Uh, it'll probably be a relatively successful uh, endeavor, certainly as successful as any of the other premium trucks that are coming because there's going to be plenty of them out there and people will be probably looking at them with a lot more serious uh, potential buyer intent simply because there's going to be this cultural awareness of them all of a sudden. And don't forget the F-150 is coming with not full 100% electric, but some kind of electrification, right, Larry? Right. I mean, you're you're looking at electrification. Actually, I want, I want to just touch on something you're talking about. You know, the Tesla truck came out and everyone's like, oh my gosh, everyone's got to have it. The fact is you may never see it. He's made a lot of promises and we have not seen a lot of product to back that up. I mean, you said we're going to have sports cars and convertibles and seven passenger. I mean, it's great to make promises, but when it comes to a deliverable, I think the one thing about General Motors is they're not going to showcase this unless they're actually going to produce it. Now, we don't know if it'll be exactly what we saw, but I, I think that this is really good for General Motors because they're taking a piece of Tesla's game, but so are all the other brands. And if you start watering it down with all these other electric SUVs coming into the marketplace, even though the demand is not there, let's just be honest with ourselves, the demand is not there. And it's sad, I mean, but I will tell you also that I noticed that um, Roush is coming out with a propane-powered vehicle. So they're going to take the diesel and they're going to have it run on propane. I just got a notification on that today. So you're going to start seeing different propulsion methods. Electric will be one of them. Will this sell? I don't know. Will they have to come up with a hybrid version of the Hummer? I'll tell you what, that would sell. If you did that with a gas electric version with all that wicked technology with the crab crawl mode and the you know the ability to pull someone else out who's in trouble all that stuff is great I, they would sell it but i don't know if i want to be in an electric vehicle going out in the desert you know doing runs and then finding out i'm out of juice what are you going to do get a diesel generator and charge it up well i actually got a, a a notification from a company i think it's in canada that is developing a solar panel to put on the bed of the, the cover of the bed of the truck that will provide at least 20 miles of power. But I don't know, that's like another of these ideas that sound cool, but, but maybe won't happen. And actually, if you go to the Tesla website right now and you try to look for the Cybertruck, you cannot find it in the main menu. So I don't know, that tells you something. Really? Well, and you raise a good point, Lauren, in that you know normally when Tesla and Elon have been touting their next big thing, They've been the only ones touting it. And so the fact that they're way late to market, which they pretty much always are, it's like, well, what else, who else are you going to buy it from, right? It's us or nobody. So even if we're, you know, months or years late, it's still just us. That's not going to be true this time. You've got Rivian. You've got Lordstown. You've got Bollinger. You've got GMC Hummer. You've got Ford working on a pure electric uh, um, F-150 along with the hybrid that's about to hit the market. So there will be an electric truck available for the pu buying public, multiple electric trucks available for the buying public in the next two years. Whether one of them is the Cybertruck or not, we'll see. But if it isn't, uh, then it's going to be left behind and it will be you know, passed by all these other brands who are going to come out with it and have it ready to go. I wanted to touch on another topic in this first segment, but we're out of time. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about the 15 most valuable auto brands in 2020 and then some other cars that we've been driving around this week.
again with the Total Car Score podcast. And as I was saying, big news from GMC this week, but also there was this report that I always love uh, looking at. Is that the top 100 global brands, and they divided them by by sector. And in the automotive sector, they're like the 15 uh, most valuable brands. And the only one that grew only 1% in 2020, mainly due to COVID, was Hyundai, which uh, again, as we, we've said in other episodes of the podcast, like... Uh, they're doing many things right, and including during the COVID, um, that, that's another signal of their success. What do you think, Carl? Yeah, I feel like it's been very tough to be successful in this uh, industry and in really probably every industry for the past uh, six to eight months for obvious reasons. So to have made any kind of gains in your finances over the last, uh, really, since the start of 2020 has been almost impossible. And, um, you know, depending on the com- company you are. And any of the auto companies, especially that could do it, given the contraction of sales in the in autos, has been very impressive. And uh, yeah, Hyundai is increasing uh, their value, and they've been able to maintain or even uh, exceed their previous sales numbers from a year earlier, in spite of the pandemic. So if you've been driving a lot of their recent products, I remember they're like the parent company, so it really includes Kia too. Actually, Carl, in this report. Is Hyundai the brand only? Kia on its own has also oh, it made is. it into the uh, top yeah, you're 15. Right. You're right. Uh, and number 13. And Genesis is not there. It's very small right. in value. This is like just talking about the value of the company. But I mean, that's another amazing thing when you think about it. Sorry. So Hyundai and Kia are both in the top 15. And yeah, I don't think people, you guys both remember the, the, the days of the Sportage and the XL and stuff. I don't think people would have been thinking that uh, Hyundai's and Kia's uh, would Hyundai and Kia brands would represent some of the most valuable brands in the auto industry not that long ago like in the last 10 to 15 years so for them to be where they are today is impressive and again for them to do especially the Hyundai brand specifically to do what it's done in the last 10 months uh, eight months uh, is really impressive and uh, it just shows that these guys are serious automakers it's funny because I've been thinking about how many of the vehicles I've been in in just the recent time, I'm going to be driving a Genesis today. Um, I've been in the Palisade recently, and of course, I'm in a, a Hyundai or sorry, a Kia K5, which we'll talk about in a second. And I feel like there was this point in time just in the last week where I realized, like, wow, I've been kind of living in Hyundai and Kia's world for the last week. And by the way, that's not a bad thing. I've been enjoying all the vehicles I've been in, so it just was occurring to me in the past week how far these brands have come and, and how good the product are. Also, they announced earlier this year that they launching their own electric brand, going back to elect- the electric topic again. So the Ionic uh, brand will gonna start producing exclusively 100% electric cars in the future. So we even have more of that. Lauren, your favorite topic? Yeah. Electric cars, yeah, you know how that is. Um, I, I think that the fact that Hyundai has showcased their success, and we kind of knew that was coming. So through all this COVID, they continued to push the cars. And I think when people were looking to buy, one of the things when things were, and they will come back to this, and when cars are up in production, I think one of the smartest things it is when they're building here in the U.S. And the second thing is their warranty. And I've been saying this for years. Kia and Hyundai Genesis, this 10-year, 100,000-mile warranty is really what's their success. And it's interesting when people ask me, like, how did they how did they make that happen? Well, you look at the domestics. We're talking way back into the 60s. This was the car. You could buy it any way you wanted. Pick the engine. Pick the transmission. Pick the this. Pick the that. And when you're on your car, 
your Chevelle, your Mustang, whatever you bought, your Mopar was yours. It was, that's why there were so many different combinations. Like I said, I work in a lot of the collector cars, so I see this. But then the Japanese came into our marketplace and they said, why are they doing this? This is making it from a business standpoint, producing product. This doesn't make sense. Let's package it. So they came up with the four to six different trim levels and it came this way. And, and you wouldn't be you know, making 9,000 options. The Germans still continue with the 9,000 options. You can order a Porsche with an embossed emblem or without one. You could have it gold. You could have it black with logos. I mean, you can still do that. And the Germans have always kind of been that way, which makes their cars expensive as you start piecemealing it together. But so the Japanese got a lot of success and a lot of traction by packaging it, but they didn't extend the warranty. But when the Koreans came into our marketplace, they looked and said, what are the Americans doing? What are the Germans doing? What are the Japanese doing? Wait a minute. We can do the packaging too, but we're going to offer a longer warranty. And no one has stepped up their game. I am shocked. Volkswagen tried. They went to six years, 60,000 miles, and they pulled it back, which makes no sense. It, it, that's like the worst thing you can do. Don't give someone something and then take it back. You could have given them four years and then stepped up to five, but don't go from five to four because you're doing is you're creating negative you know, in, interest in your brand. But look at the results of Kia and Hyundai. I mean, their sales have been unbelievable and they're smart. They come into the marketplace like, Carl, you're driving the GV80. I've already posted my GV80 review. I will tell you from day one, I knew the secret to this was offering everything they could. Load it up, but then come in at a price point that just kicks everybody's butt and they've done it. I mean, they're coming in loaded, loaded, 3.5 liter, every goodie you can think of, including gesture control on the fully loaded three row, you name it, and you're coming in at $70,000. I mean, you can't do that in a German car. You can't do that in a Japanese car. And then offer the warranty and concierge service? Impressive. Uh, yeah, actually, I have two, two points about that. One, I always wonder, I mean, not a wonder, I, I'm pretty sure that there was somebody in accounting or finance or something that did the actual numbers. If we invest in better quality materials and, and components and all that, we will be able to offer the 10-year guarantee without losing money because they don't just like pick the number by just like, oh, like come up with a cool number. I mean, they, somebody there in Seoul in Korea. They cream it. Yeah, they, yeah. they, they did the numbers and they said, okay, this is going to do it and we're going to make it. The other point is what you were saying is that uh, my real estate agent uh, is in the market for a new car, his BMW. It's uh, the, His lease is expiring in the next three months. And uh, he saw that I had the G80 and uh, he came yesterday to test drove it. And like he sold. I mean, like, when he saw everything he can get into that car compared to a E-Class from Mercedes-Benz or a 5 Series from BMW, uh, he was just so impressed, and and uh, and th that's the case, right, Carl? I mean, you know more about the, the financial analysis of the of the companies and how they do their pricing and offers, and like somebody in Korea, like some years ago, like came up with this formula and said, "We're gonna make it. We're gonna promise ten years, and we're gonna the car is gonna be good, and we're gonna make money." Well, they obviously looked at what was the um, deciding factor on people who were or were not specifically buying their cars, and they realized there's still a concern about quality. There's still a perception. And again, referencing what I said earlier, Sportages and XLs, you know, the, the Korean cars for their first uh, go around in this country back in the, you know, anywhere from the, I think it was like the late eighties and nineties, they were first here. Um, they unfortunately established a first impression. As we know, first impressions can be pretty hard to get rid of. And the first impression that they established in this country was that they were less expensive than Japanese cars and you could kind of tell why when you bought one and you owned one, you know, 
Um, and, and the truth is they weren't terrible. It's not like they were just terrible, horrible. You know, a lot of the American cars weren't very good back then either. So they were probably com comparable to some of the lesser, you know, quality American cars, but they were nowhere near the Japanese quality. And everyone knew that immediately once they started driving them and they had to get past that. And I think personally, I remember by the two, by year 2000, they had, uh, had a Hyundai Elantra in our long-term fleet where I was working at the time, kept it for a year not a single problem ran great i remember at the end of the year we were saying so why would you buy a civic instead of this it competes with the civic and this is less expensive and there is no reason from a functional capability that you would buy the civic over this car and pay the extra money they both are very dependable and well executed but then everyone said yeah except one's got a honda badge and one has a hyundai badge and how many people are going to feel comfortable with that uh, hyundai badge and hyundai and kia knew this so then they did the 10 year hundred thousand like lauren said and then people started saying, well, at least if something goes wrong and I'm afraid it might, I'm covered. And they started giving the cars a try. And of course, once they started giving the cars a try, they realized, well, I'm glad I have that peace of mind, but things don't go wrong on these cars. They're actually fine. And that's where you're seeing this increased, you know, uh, willingness and the sales, sales are going up. The market share is going up. The, the quality studies, now the initial quality studies, they're very commonly some of the highest ones. I know Kia has been touting how well they've been doing in those for the last several years. So, but they had to break through, they had to break through that first impression they established when they landed in this country 30 years ago by uh, changing people's mind to give them a chance. And the 10 year 100,000 did it. And it's interesting they haven't pulled it back yet because as Lauren noted, companies do that. I remember in the last, like last 10 or 12 years, you know, it used to be 450, four year 50,000 on um, brands like Audi and BMW. And now it's, I think 336. Uh, so, they have, there have been other brands that have contracted that warranty because they don't want to deal with the cost. And one of, some of them did calculations and said, look, I don't think it's going to be as much of a hit to our perception as we're going to save money on having to deal with extra costs when people bring things in those la that last year or those last 12,000 miles and they've been cutting things back. I see. Well, uh, Lauren, you had a couple of Japanese cars this week in your driver, right? And Ethan Rogue and the Toyota Highlander. Talk uh, briefly about those because we're not out of time on this segment too. Okay. The Nissan Rogue, I think, is the one that's most significant. The Toyota Highlander was a hybrid and I think it, it's a great car. Uh, but the Rogue really stood out to me of the two. And actually, when you because I get multiple cars this time of year, as we all do, because the jury is coming down to picking their final three in each category, I drove the Rogue, and I was really impressed. I, I, I know the Rogue comes in, it's all about price. It's always about price point for them, and that's how Nissan's always sold their product. But I got in it, and I said, you know what? I'd rather drive this Nissan Rogue for $10,000 less than the Toyota Highlander Hybrid. Just everything about it was there. I wasn't the biggest fan of the shifter, but I guess you get used to it. It's much better than some of the other brands, but I, I like what they did with the vehicle. They really thought about it. It's very budget friendly. When you're coming in a vehicle, that's going to come a little under $20,000. You're going to sell these things like hotcakes, but like the Sentra, Nissan had to come up with something new. They had during their whole escapade with Carlos Ghosn and all the scandal they they had nothing coming out. They had to come on strong. And these are their two bread and butter cars, the Sentra and the Rogue. And I, I th think they did a great job with the Rogue. I don't know if you guys have driven the Rogue. I have. Yeah. Really well done. And it's got a premium, both the Sentra and the Rogue. They've put, they've somehow managed to imbue this kind of premium feel to these cars. And these are not supposed to be premium cars by nature. They're not in a class that's considered a premium class, either one of them. But they have this look and feel to the interior. And then, of course, the technology that they're offering they're like you said, very well, very well done, and uh, I, I could see one of them, one or both of them winning car of the year. But they're certainly uh, well, well executed. 
Well, we had another couple of topics to talk in this segment, but we're, again, we're out of time. Uh, so I guess the conversation goes pretty fast when it's good. But uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about my first experience uh, with a Ram 1500 TRX, another crazy pickup truck that probably nobody needs, but everybody wants. We'll be back. <laughs> Here at the Total Car Score podcast with Carl Brower and Lauren Fix, and uh, this week I had no, actually, when was it? I, I lost track of time, but in the past few days I was able to drive the Ram 1500 TRX. Finally, we've seen it in the outer shows, we've seen it at the Natoy uh, test drives in uh, an Arbor where we drove it briefly, but not really to its own capability. So this amazing pickup truck, 702 horsepower. I mean, it was fun. It was incredible. We actually flew with it. You go to the YouTube channel and you're going to see the video of it. We were in a dirt track, 1.2 mile dirt, dirt track in Reno, outside Reno, Nevada. And this truck is amazing. I mean, like uh, we were talking about the electric truck at the beginning of the show. And uh, this is something like the traditional, the one you really like, Lauren, like with the gas engine and all that, all the power, all the, yeah. the, yes. the luxury, the technology. I mean, Ram is another brand. We were talking about Hyundai before. Ram is the other brand that is killing it with this new product. Yeah, they are. Uh, Ram has come a long way. Yeah, Ram has come a long way. I mean, Carl, you and I both like big power. We like performance. And uh, it's funny, when I got in the TRX, first thing I said was, oh, my God, there's a launch button, like, for drag racing. Who's drag racing a pickup truck? Well, apparently they, they thought of everything because one of the things that people at, at Mopar did, it, and you have an interview that you put together, uh, Javier, um, with the people at with the TRX, they said, we have no limitations. We've got the engine. We've got the vehicle. We're going to build it. There's demand. Now, I posted the full reveal on, on Car Coach Reports, which is my website. Uh, but it's interesting because the people that are so excited, I mean, I don't, they're probably going to sell every single one. I was told their first launch edition, which is, I don't know, like close to $100,000 fully loaded. But it's, that's, you know, that's what they sell, are all sold out. So you're going to have the collectors, the Mopar guys want it. As a matter of fact, if I wanted one today, I don't think any of us could get a launch edition. But they will sell them. Uh, and if you really want one, I would say wait two years. You'll be able to get one at a discounted price because someone will trade it in for the next cool red-eye version of it because you know they're going to build something more. Um, but I, I think the whole – maybe there'll be a Hellcat version of it. But uh, Or what was the next one? Uh, you would know that, Carl. The Demon version. The Demon version. Yeah, the Demon TRX. That would be kind of cool, actually. I actually talked to Mike Crowell Jr. He's the head of the Ram brand in uh, North America while I was out there in uh, Lake Tahoe, Reno. So here's the interview with him. Well, Mike, we just spent a fabulous day here um, around Reno, Lake Tahoe. What an amazing day. I don't absolutely. know how to, to explain it. Really. Absolutely beautiful and uh, just so excited to bring the trucks to market. And what an absolutely perfect environment to take them out and drive them around the lake. And just absolutely fantastic day. So um, we did the experience, both, everything that this truck can do, like drove on roads, regular roads incredibly comfortable comfortable and easy to drive when you think it's 702 horsepower <laughs> yeah and, and that's really the beautiful thing about this truck is that it's a no compromise super truck it was engineered bolt by bolt to handle the harshest off-road terrain at incredibly high speeds which we saw today out there on the track but it has surprisingly nice on-road manners as well unbelievably 
soft and, and comfortable ride. And you still, as soon as you crawl into the cabin of the truck, you're reminded that it, the roots of it, the base of it, is the, the Ram 1500, which is America's most awarded half-ton yeah. pickup. So it's comfortable. It's quiet. We have back seats that do front seat things. They're heated. They're cooled. They recline. So this is just uh, a, a, the total package. So for people who think that this is just like a little bigger truck, larger, wider, taller, with a bigger engine in, in under the, the hood, what would you say? Because that's not the truth the, the story, at all. The, <laughs> if, if the story stopped uh, with what's under the hood, you would, you, may, you would be missing out on so much more because it is truly a no compromise uh, a, a truck at all. And, and uh, like we said, the on-road characteristics are such that uh, it's comfortable to ride in, it's comfortable to drive, and, uh, and you can take it off-road, and it, it does everything that you need it to do and everything that you would expect it to do. So tell us a little bit about the story behind it, because, I mean, when car companies start making these kind of projects, it's because something else is going really well. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't let you do it, right? Yeah, so th this was a very special project, and, and we're, a, we're a scrappy truck maker. And when you put a, a bunch of talented engineers into a room and you say, go, and you green light and fund everything, that is what happened with TRX. We did not, we gave the engineers and the designers everything they needed to build the ultimate super truck. And that's what we got to experience today. So how does that meeting go? Because I'm talking to engineers, designers from different car companies, there's always a limit. And they said, okay, I would like to put this or bend this little angle here a little bit more. And then the engineer says, no, because that's gonna cost more. And the finest people also object. In this case, you were all the way up, and like there was no stopping. And, and that's that's a hundred percent true. And if this were a standard mainstream vehicle, you're absolutely right. You're, you're surrounded by knives, yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, but that's not the case with this truck. But because we knew if we were going to do it, we had to go all the way, and it had to be right, and it had to be authentic, because it, it, we knew if we brought something that was less than our highest expectations into the marketplace, that we would be seen as as being uh, genuine. And, and, and committed to being America's off-road truck leader. And it's already a huge success because, I mean, sales, I mean, deliveries haven't started, but sales went through the roof, like, for the launch edition, right? Yeah, so we, we sold it. So we, we thought with this uh, uh, ultimate super truck that we ought to do something special. So we created a launch edition, 702 only for the U.S. market, uh, to pay tribute to uh, the horsepower, 702 horsepower, sold out within 20 minutes. Wow. Uh, and even the non for more than ninety thousand dollars, right? Yeah, uh, yes, between ninety and a hundred thousand wow. dollars. So these are these are buyers who uh, again they they wanted everything, and and uh, and so the 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 TRX will deliver. But even the non-launch editions were sold out into twenty twenty one already. Wow. Yeah, in terms of dealer reservations, so very excited. The groundswell of support early in the TRX life cycle has been overwhelming. So that tells a lot about the success that Ram has had in the past, well, before too, but in the past 10 years since it became an independent brand. I mean, your numbers are going through the roof, even during this recession or like pandemic, whatever you want to call it. You have really good numbers, right? Yeah, no, the, the, we've been on a really good run. Uh, we have a lot of momentum in the marketplace, and I think that's because we've listened to truck customers. And we know that they spend a lot of time in their trucks, and whether they like to tow or to haul, or they even use it for their everyday driver, that 
the all-new Ram 1500. We put the resources where it mattered the most, okay? It's a great-looking truck, but when you crawl into the cabin, you immediately see the attention to detail, the level of refinement. Ground, that screen. Oh, the screen. <laughs> well, the, the groundbreaking tre technology, the 12-inch touchscreen yeah. with 360, you connect it. It's just... It's been a game changer, not only for Ram 1500, but for the brand at large. We are seeing more people switch to Ram than ever before. And it's because of that attention to detail, specifically on the interior, that has won customers over. Now we talk a little bit about the, the other brands, obviously, that are in the market. And Ford has been in number one seller for like more than 40 years. Is that something that, that will always be the, the case? I mean, what's, what, what's the reason? I mean, I, I know, Part of it is like fleets, enormous fleets that companies have had it for decades, and, and the cost of changing that would be huge. Yeah, and I, I would tell you that uh, the pickup trucks are extraordinarily loyal. Uh, it, there's generational loyalty. Yeah. My father had one, my grandfather had one, and we know this. But Ram is beginning to change the way people think about what a pickup truck can be. And we're doing that with... Yeah, we're, we're seeing it, actually, I it, mean, it, with, so with these kind of, of uh, vehicles, yeah. It, so that, that and, and we're, we're humble in our approach, but we think that our strategy, our go-to-market strategy is one that, 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 that can be successful and has been successful. And as you know, we, we, we reclaimed the number two position in the U.S. market yeah. at the end of 2019. And uh, that's just continued to uh, motivate us, to continue to innovate, to push boundaries, to never be complacent. And, uh, and that's, so that's the task on our, our team, our entire team, our engineers, our designers. What's next? What's next? Always trying to stay out in front, but deliver a quality product. And that's the other big thing. The quality has improved yeah, so like Number one in quality, right? Uh, the, the appeal study, we were number one, and we jumped from the initial quality from 21st all the way to third. So the, 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 the absolute quality of our truck has improved, but we've also put a product on the road that's so compelling, customers love our trucks and they want to stay with our brand well you were saying uh, what's next what's next i can't, can't wait to see what's next we just finished this and this is amazing so i just can't imagine because i mean what what you guys have been doing is it's, it's pretty amazing so thank you very much for the opportunity and uh, i can't wait really can't wait to see what's next really <laughs> thank you very much thank you very interesting what uh what ram is doing as we were saying and uh Again, I hope that you guys have the chance to drive it like as I, I did this week, but uh, I guess uh, you have to wait for your turn. I don't know what's the, when it's going to happen, but I'm sure, as you were saying, Kyle, before the interview with Mike, one of the more powerful, even more powerful might come up down the pipe. Yeah, they, ha they tend to do that. Uh, Mopar brings out the crazy high-performance vehicle, and then they come out with the crazier high-performance vehicle just to keep uh, all the uh, performance fans like uh, Lauren and I salivating and going, all right, what's next, what's next, what's next? So they've got a great platform. They've proven they're committed to making extremely high-performance trucks as they've been making extremely high-performance uh, cars for years now with the SRT brand. So uh, here we go now. Ram's going to get sucked in. And don't forget, too, Jeep even, right, with the uh, Trackhawk. You know, they've made extremely powerful Jeep Grand Cherokees. So um, we'll see. We've, we've been talking electric trucks a lot this, this podcast, but I think there's plenty of people, and I know I'm one of them, who's happy to see them continue to invest in the old-fashioned, you know, uh, archaic gasoline engine and making it as powerful as possible. I'll, I'll take that, too. From the FCA group, uh, Lauren, we... I mean, we are supposed to go to Charlotte next month to test, test drive the new Dodge lineup, uh, but I think you will be able to do it. Tell us why. Oh, I got blocked out. I, I'm really upset. I live in New York State. I don't live in New York City. I live in Buffalo. 
but all of New York State is on a quarantine. So I could go and drive the new SRT model lineup. And it was like two days in Charlotte. But if you're out of the state more than 24 hours into one of the red states, and that's not the color of voting, that's the color of quarantine states, they're calling them red states, um, you have to, when you come back, you have to quarantine in your home for two weeks. And if anyone knows me, you cannot trap this animal in a cage for two weeks. I think I would lose it. You can't leave your home. You have to have food delivered. It's like, in the, or there's no way to get around it either. And if you fail to follow the directions, it's a $2,500 each time you get caught. Fine. So I think I will pass on that event. And then sadly, I would love to go, but I, unfortunately, I had to pass. We'll see what happens. Um, pretty fast moving podcast this week uh, with a lot of uh, great news, uh, great cars. So, Carl, thank you and uh, good luck. Uh, you're going out to drive the GV80 right now, right? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna head out to drive it in just a few hours. Looking forward to it. Uh, as Lauren said, I think it's gonna be another big player like the G80, the car. I think the GV80 will be a big player this year in both North American uh, car, truck, and SUV of the year considerations, as well as with consumers who buy vehicles. I think it's gonna be uh, resonating well with them. Good luck with that and good luck uh, with your plans, Lauren. But I still hope to see you in Charlotte next month. I look forward to seeing you. I'll see you in California for the Hyundai N-Line. That I will be able to sneak out for. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, we'll be together again. Oh, excellent. Thank you for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. For more, check us out online at totalcarscore.com.